it's exhausting to not be who you are. At some point, whether it's mentally or physically, your body and your soul will let you know that it's time to move away from this imaginary charade or whatever you're presenting to the world. And you have no choice. That's what I feel. I felt like I had no choice in the healing journey and the story. It had to be told. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Tuckered Out with Ami Tucker. It was so, so nice to unplug this past month and take a very much needed creative brain break. And you know, as much as I love the podcasting world, sometimes mama needs to not talk. I mean, don't worry, I redirected all my verbal vomit towards my husband, and I mean, he absolutely loved it, let me tell you. And since it's still summer, and most of us are still kind of on off mode, going on vacations, attempting to read books, I thought I would do a fun series highlighting South Asian authors you gotta know and love. My first guest for this series is Preeti Thanna, author of So I Married a Coconut. I'll just say it, we instantly fell in love, and you'll hear the many reasons why during the interview. Her book was just so fun, it was so relatable, like kind of to the point where I thought she was writing about me, And most importantly, it is so important for our community to read. I've said this before and I'll say it again, coming of age stories are my absolute favorite. So reading one about a South Asian woman is beyond exciting. You guys must buy this book. It is absolutely fantastic. You'll read it in like literally a day. I hope you enjoy my interview with Preeti Tanna. First of all, congrats on the book. So I married a coconut. I did my research. I did my LinkedIn research on you. I'm 70% through the book. And in a way, I'm kind of glad I don't know what your present story is because I want to talk to you about it. I got to tell you, I never have time to read. Never. I just feel like between the kids and just life, and I just feel like I'm just doing podcasts, read articles, and I just never pick up a book. And that's laziness for me, for sure. But I'm just like, okay, podcast, audiobooks, I can do it. This was such a fun read. <gasps> that makes me so happy to hear that. It was a fun read, easy read, because it's so relatable and beyond relatable for me. And it's an aw- fun, awesome, insightful book about growing up Indian American, which I love. I love that South Asian authors are doing this now. I had a interview with Cal Penn last year and just talked about how we are having our coming of age books coming out now, which is so exciting. And do you remember when telling our stories almost seemed inexcusable or almost shameful to even talk about? And so for me, seeing all these authors and even, you know, when Nirja said to me, oh, Ami's doing a a South Asian, you know, author series, I actually couldn't believe you're referring to me because I, for so long, just didn't know what my path was going to be. So yeah, it's a beautiful moment from having no representation to suddenly seeing all these wonderful stories. Doesn't it feel like there's just like this crazy boom all of a sudden? I mean, I know it's been happening and I know you've been part of it for a while and and I've been part of it in different ways with film and radio and TV since early 2000s. But definitely the past few, few years, it feels very different. It feels very different. And I have so much respect for those South Asian creatives who have been doing it for 10, 15, 20 years without the recognition, without the path to 
having people see their work, they paved the way for us. And so, yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it on so many levels. And like you, I've had a very, very random and crazy path. We're definitely related. Like, I feel like we're, oh, yeah, we're definitely sisters somehow. Well, okay. yes, Welcome yes, to the family. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I'm married to Coconut. Got to talk to you about the book process and why you decided to write this. Obviously, during your crazy path to this point, there was nothing in LinkedIn that I read that would indicate you would become an author, which is amazing. And by the way, on my, on my profile, no one would assume a podcast would be next. So I'm wondering what the shift was. I don't know that it was a conscious shift. I think I've always expressed myself with writing. And so I have journals all over the place since I was 15. And Elizabeth Gilbert talks about this in her book, Big Magic. And I think even Steven Spielberg on some other level when he did a speech. But these things, like whether it's a podcast or this book, they sort of land. And it's not a conscious decision. It's, you know, when I'm quiet and I'm with myself, it was really, oh, I have to write this book. And once those ideas, you know, they talk about ideas being out in the universe and they're there and they land on individuals and or dreams are sort of quiet and behind you and not necessarily this big thing that you've been thinking about. But in the beginning of 2022, I thought, okay, I have to write a book. I had no idea what it was going to be about. I had no idea how I was going to do it. And two weeks later, someone on Instagram posted about this Creator Institute author accelerator program. So I clicked on the link. And I had a phone call. And the next thing I knew, I was enrolled in this program. It wasn't a heavy process. You know, a lot of people ask me, do you have a publisher? When did you? None of that went through my mind. What went through my mind was I have to get this story out and I need help doing it. And this seems like a good process because it's holding me accountable. And that was it. That was really it. I didn't even know it would turn into a memoir, which was surprising to me because I have been so quiet about my life and not shared a significant amount of what's in the book. I have a good friend that read it and she said, I have so many questions for you. I didn't know some of this stuff. So it was sort of something that landed and here we are. What did you initially think it was going to be? Initially, I was taking my journals and verb, like typing exactly what I had written. And my first editor said, that's not how you write a book. (laughs) She said, you need dialogue. How do you write a book? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I thought we just put words on paper no, no, you need dialogue. And so then in that journey of taking my journals, it became a memoir in and of itself. And quite honestly, it seemed easy to write a journal because I'm writing, you know, at the time, seemed easy to write about something I know well, which is my life. So that's how it sort of transpired into that. Hey, I totally get the whole sharing yourself and being shocked that you're sharing so much about yourself in public. I feel that way about the podcast. I swear to God, I think the first five episodes, which no one listened to, like one person, I was hyperventilating because I was like, is it okay to be this open? Is it okay to, to talk about myself? Our first ever episode that we did was the Me Too episode where I had a round table of brown women and men, and we talked about our own personal experience. And it was crazy to even open up that way. And I was like, oh my God, what are my mom and dad? Like, what am I doing? I'm going to be shunned and, and all this stuff. So I completely understand and really appreciate how open you were in the book, you know? And I think that also comes, honestly, with just getting older and becoming mature and and realizing that these stories are important to share. Yeah. And I think even before that, yes, getting older, life experiences, my own journey with, 
you know, understanding why I feel a certain way and discovering the multi-layers. We all have multi-dimension layers of who we are and how we present ourselves. But honestly, it just got, it's exhausting to not be who you are. And so at some point, whether it's mentally or physically, your body and your soul will let you know that it's time to move away from this imaginary charade or whatever you're presenting to the world. And you have no choice. That's what I feel. I felt like I had no choice in the healing journey and the story. It had to be told. It's kind of like a huge therapy session for yourself. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're not there yet, but I don't want to spoil anything for you. But it was, it was really, for me, going through the grief process, it was so cathartic to write about my dad and to remember what a spectacular human being he was. And so that to me, you know, if someone, someone says, some people ask all the time, like, what's the purpose of this book? It was very personal in that journey of feeling good and feeling better about life and remembering him in a way that I thought was appropriate for his, for his life. But it also is something that I hope people read. And if in one instant they say, oh, I, I feel better. That's good. Uh, well, <laughs> That's I will I tell really you, want. I did. I continuously feel like I am learning about myself more and more. The podcast, like like your book, is, has been a therapy session. Sorry about your dad. I do have a question. My, one of my questions was, because obviously we got to know your parents throughout the book, and I wanted to ask you what they thought about it. So my mom, I loved the process of her, like watching her understand that I was writing a book and then watching her response to that, that I was actually being truthful. And initially, she's a spectacular woman. She really is. And the first question she asked was, what is my name in the book? And I said, mom. She said, no, no, I know. What is my name in the book? And I said, but that's what I call you in life. I call you mom. So that's your name in the book. And she's like, oh, okay. And then the second question was, is there a chapter about me? And I said, well, it's not, you know, one specific chapter. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. sprinkle through. And I'm sure she won't mind when I say, so you're past the part where I find out about the children and my infertility. And she then said, why do you have to say that? And I said, this is why, because I felt so alone and so ashamed that I was an Indian woman who couldn't, would not be able to have her own children naturally. I don't want to hide, you know, mom, I, I think that if anyone else is going through that, they should know that it's okay. And immediately she said, you're right. Okay. You know, and so we all fall back on our patterns and our ways of thinking, but she is so open-minded in her thinking that she agreed and, and we moved on from it. And then she got the book, read the book and told me that she stayed up until six in the morning finishing it and that she absolutely loved it. So that was, that was good. Aren't our parents and our moms, they're just, I keep aging us, we're not old, but as we get older, you just, you realize what they went through as immigrants. And we're, by the way, we're Guju Lohana as well. This is one of the many, oh. many. No, 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 wait, Preeti, don't worry. By the end of this, we're going to just visit each other at family reunions. I thought, I thought we would talk about, and now you're Guju Lohana. Guju Lohana is- with the same, dis- I'm telling you, I'm reading this. I'm like, maybe we're related. Like, I don't, Hucker. I'm sure we are. Hucker, obviously. Yeah, yes. I know. It's going to get crazy. Trust me. Okay. It gets, it's going to get crazier. But yeah, you just realize, man, our parents are amazing what they did. And it wasn't really in their capacity to be able to be as open as we can be now. They gave us that opportunity to become the next generation to open up these conversations that our Indian culture has not led us, right? 
Right. You know, and you, you almost, you have to forgive them. They didn't know any better. Right. And so they were simply following the Daisy trifecta, as I call it, but they were following the set of rules that were given to them. And so I, I wholeheartedly agree. It's just unfortunate. We don't realize that until much later. It's It's happening much later, but at least it's happening. Right. I talked to them a little bit about it, but I'm also like, you know what? They've worked their asses off their whole life. Like this therapy and this understanding of who I am is for me. Right. Right. And for your kids. And for the kids, right, right. Okay, do you consider yourself a coconut? And I don't know if you mentioned that at the end of the book, so you can just let me know. But if you do consider yourself a coconut, why? And by the way, to the audience, a coconut is brown on the outside and white on the inside, like a coconut. So a lot of Indians call themselves coconuts because they look Indian, but they feel white. This is probably going to blow your mind, but that is not the reference I'm making. And in fact, in fact, it wasn't until I decided on the title and we were way in the process of publishing that people were like, oh, it's cool. You know, a lot of people said to me, oh, I didn't know you got married. That was the first thing. Oh, I also have an Indian husband who's white on the inside. That was the second thing. And my brother was like, what do you mean? We called our coconut ourselves coconut all our lives. And then at the same time it was being published, I was watching the latest season of Never Have I Ever. And at the end of the show, Davey says, oh, I'm going to get up and dance so my grandmother doesn't think I'm a coconut. And I'm like, crap. I never really, I heard, I understand the concept. I heard potato, Oreo. I Married a Coconut is titled because I actually did marry a coconut. The the at the beginning. The fruit. That was probably the engagement. So you haven't gotten to the marriage yet, but in Indian superstition, there's something called Mangala Dosha or Mangal Dosh, right? And so Mangal is Mars. Dosha means sort of a bad mark. Oh, no, you were Mangal. I had to do some kind, I can't remember everything, but when you were at the beginning, when you had that puja, like when you woke up and, and the Swami was there, I had to do a few of those to like get rid of some kind of Mangal. Yeah. yeah. And it, 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 they believe that if you're born when Mars is in a certain alignment, you're going to bring bad luck to your husband. So their remedy is to marry you to an inanimate object. So that inanimate object absorbs this bad luck right. and then you're free to get married to right. whomever you want. Yeah. So in my case, it was a coconut. Ah. Uh, so that is why the book is tight. Now, of course, the title then can be interpreted in so many different ways and it does work, but I'm so glad you didn't know no. because I love the story of, no, I actually had to marry was it a cute coconut, at least? Mr. Coconut was quite lovely. He married me without any protest and, you know, met his early demise. But I still consider myself Mrs. Coconut. As long coconut, as he wasn't so. too hairy. I mean, no, that's all, that's all that matters. <laughs> he was, he was a relatively smooth. Because I'm married coconut. to an Indian man and sometimes there's hair. So. <laughs> Some, maybe, a little. Yeah, exactly. Uh, by the way, I should, like I should talk, I'm Gujarati. There's, yeah. I've, I've had to take care of it many times. So, um, okay. So it's, that's good to know. I will finish the last 70 pages and get back to you, but. Okay. <laughs> Wonderful. But do you consider yourself a coconut by that meeting? I guess from a physical standpoint or from an image standpoint, but no, I consider myself the best of both and don't necessarily, def- I'm, obviously you can say that because I am first gen Indian American, but I think the real beauty in being born here, but having the Indian heritage lineage ancestry is that you can take both of those cultures and fuse them and you don't have to be one or the other. One of the big concepts that I hopefully talk about in the book, but I generally believe in is that 
you can be opposites. Uh, in fact, being opposite and you know living in a world of and as opposed to either or is exquisitely human. And for me, it took such a long time to say, I don't have to be one or two things. So I don't actively walk around with any designation, like I'm a coconut, but I mean, I recognize it, but I, I just, I take the best of both and figure out, you know, how to move forward. And I love that the acronym ABCD, American Born oh, Confused yeah. Desi, yeah. it actually yeah. pisses me off. And I don't know how you feel me about too. it. Cause I'm like, I don't think we're confused. I actually think we're just lucky. Totally. We have these two awesome cultures that we can be part of, that we can mix, that we can kind of play with. And I think it's awesome. I think we, our generation is really, really lucky because we are so much closer to that first generation immigrants that came here. So we have learned so much from them and also hold on to those values a little bit more. I mean, I see my kids and I love them, but they're not going to have the same values because me and my husband don't pass that down, right? So I feel like our generation is the luckiest, in fact. I agree. And I wish they would just rename it to American Born Curious, Stacey. It is. I mean, we're not confused. Uh, we should we, Let's rename it ourselves because I think it's okay, just dumb. I'm done. It. Yeah. You, <laughs> I'm over it. You actually, you should put wherever you talk about the pod, say we, it's been renamed to just make it a fact. And so it is. Maybe, maybe I should <laughs> name just the title of the whole podcast and just call it American Born Curious Desi. Ah, thoughts, 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 many thoughts, creative mind. The creative mind is coming back after six weeks. Yes, um, welcome back, creative mind. And then I, I wanted to also mention and uh, before, I've, I've outlined a few themes from the book that I want to talk to you about. Before we talk about that, I, I just wanted to say I love how you dedicated dedicated this book to immigrant parents raising children here, the woman grappling with society's standard of self-worth, which I feel like even in my 40s, I still do. And then finally, for the person who knows you are already enough. And I believe, you know, I, I, anyone can read into that how they will. I believe that's yourself. You, should, you know yourself, you're already enough. Right. And belonging to yourself is the greatest club. We've, we fought so long to assimilate and belong to a group of people that we really didn't know anything about, but felt as though we needed to be part of the pack and part of the crew. And, you know, I spent a lifetime in that space. And your time comes when it comes, when you realize that that's not really where you belong, that you do belong to yourself. But it's, you know, it's an incredible amount of work and thought that gets you to that point. And I don't, I don't want anyone to feel the way I did growing up. You remembered on me, it was really lonely. Obviously I had moments like Hindu heritage summer camp. Oh, we'll talk, we're talking about that girl. <laughs> okay. But the more moments when I was in school and where I spent most of my time, I don't want anyone to feel that. You know, I was reading my journals and I felt really sad for that girl and acknowledged that it was okay to feel the pain, but you got yourself through it. I was at my parents' house. I'm in Dallas right now. My parents are in Houston and we've moved around a lot. So they have a lot of our stuff because I just moved so many times the past 15 years. And my, I have a third grader. She found my middle school yearbook. Ooh, that's good stuff. I honestly didn't realize how angry I was. Mm. I wrote, I mean, I was like seriously ghetto. All the stuff I wrote in there, I was like, was I part of a gang? Like, what? <laughs> what? Why am I hating on everyone? Why? I, I didn't know. I mean, 
I kind of know it's there subconsciously, but you don't realize how angry, how much you were bullied. Like there's bits and pieces that are now coming back to me. But when I read that, and this is like maybe a year ago, I was like, oh my God, it was hard, harder than I remember. Kids are so resilient, right? And we tend to, you know, as kids, and I see it today, and I'm sure we were the same way, we bounce back and we figure out what to do. And there's a certain sense of, I think I do believe curiosity on, okay, how I can get out of this. But anger, we don't talk about that enough, you know, because you really weren't allowed to show those emotions and you weren't allowed to come home and say, no one's talking to me at school. You know, you had to, again, be a certain way and remain calm and quiet and not disturb uh, whatever was happening. And so, of course, we were angry. I mean, now, isn't it funny? You look back and you're like, yeah, angry yeah. was that minimal. Yeah. It's <laughs> crazy. Minimum, I was angry. Yeah. I just, I didn't even realize. I honestly had rose colored glasses up until literally maybe 10 years ago when I started, when I got married. I started, I just started really reflecting. I was like, oh, maybe this is why I need to go to therapy. But that's why I do the <laughs> podcast. So it's fine. Okay. The few themes I want to go over in the book. First, I want to talk about why we're sisters. Obviously, we're Guju and Lohana. And, and you also had a friend named Ami in ninth grade who called herself Amy. But you, I should tell you, I fought that name, Amy, the, my whole life. So you'd be proud of me. Thank you. I was, Thank you. Yeah, I know. That's the one thing I recall doing a lot was to make sure, because I also grew up in a very white neighborhood and outside, a little bit outside of Houston. The fact that you used Fire and Ice Revlon lipstick Right when I read that sentence, I was like, all these just memories started coming out. I was like, this is insane. Our parents, I mean, I might be aging myself a little bit, but my parents, whenever they they didn't go to India often, we only went once as a kid, but I do remember people asking for that Revlon lipstick and it was all over our house. But it was like the the bomb lipstick, like everyone had it. It was amazing. And you can still get it, I think. It's still around them. I might. Next time, we'll we'll have have to get it. Yeah, (laughs) I don't even remember. I just remember like whoever had it, they were the coolest chicks ever. And like we would wear it before like (laughs) the middle school, high school parties. Anyways, lots of memories. I I love and hate. I love and hate the fact that both of us use fair and lovely. Oh, <laughs> what? What exactly? I mean, I know. No, I think it just tells. What, here's the telling of the times, honestly, Preeti. Like when you that again, you're talking about using it. I was like, what the fuck? I was like, what's what? Why were we doing this? Well, you know, you think at that time that it's really about. I'm Indian and everyone else is fair skinned and I need to look like them. You don't think about the fact that this product was created in India where, you know, they also in like, India. Like, by the way, the you, number one product, uh, like selling ever. <laughs> which, of course, they've changed the name, but it doesn't occur to you where this product comes from. And the fact that India, the place that is not supposed to worry about the color, still has a premium on lighter skin. And so, you know, many years later, I was like, well, that was a big load of shit where you (laughs) you thought you had to use that cream. Well, a lot of it was a load of shit. Like, I have only one brother, but the experience of experiences of going to India and the family just, he was a firstborn, by the way. I was kind of Mm -hmm. like second, whatever. Just the experiences of them doting over him. Like just those things where you knew what's kind of happening. But then as you, again, as you get older, you're like, that's not cool. Like what? What the hell, dude? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, at the time you're like, okay, I guess this is how it is. That kind of sucks. But yeah, so many. I mean, there's so many in the book. So many. Even when I was writing, there was a lot of shaking in my head. Oh my God, a lot of shaking. (laughs) Oh my God. Um, yeah. I also watched Mahan as my first Bollywood movie. 
No, you know, I thought it was so obscure. And I wonder if it was the first VHS that was really out. At least in my memory, I'll have to ask my mom. I, like you, wanted to be a Bollywood dancer. I did end up going to Bombay. And I'll tell you about that. Doing, I was a backup what? dancer for a pop star. Ami, oh my god! I gotta tell you, I thank Bhagwan, every Bhagwan there ever is, that there was no social media because, holy God, like I was terrible. <laughs> it was bad. Yeah, that, that would have, that would not have helped our situations. But yeah, yeah. that's impressive. Yeah, that is amazing. Yeah, so I do want to hear when about when that. you were, everything you were writing, I was like, what the? And of course, all the '80s references growing up in the '80s, like we did Family Ties, Speed Racer, mm-hmm. all of it, and then. I'm just like, um, everything you said in the book about growing up, it just made, threw me back into my childhood home. Like listening to Peter Jennings, World News, Mm. like all of that is like these very strong memories, you know? And it's weird, like watching, like seeing my dad watch it, watch Peter Jennings every night, that kind of stuff religiously, right? It just, it makes me feel like we had a shared experience across the country and there's so many of us. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't know. Those memories that I, and there, of course, there's so many more that I didn't put, but some of them were, are so poignant. You know, I can, I can see him. I can see his face. I can see the way he's sitting on the couch. You know, when I talk about 60 minutes, every Sunday, it was 60 minutes. I hear the clock. My mom made homemade pizza. And these, these small little traditions is really the moments that made my childhood. You know, it, you know, this consistency of, Knowing that every Sunday, you know, we would have pizza and my dad would be happy yeah. because Andy Rooney was on. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, six, so many. it's a solid show your dad picked. So <laughs> yeah, I asked this question to all my guests. I'm guest, but I'm going to guess your answer before I ask you based on the book. So any interview I do, the most interesting part to me is always going to be childhood and growing up because that defines so much of who you are. And I always like, like to ask my guess, because everyone's South Asian, what childhood story can you recall that identifies your South Asian identity? Meaning whether it was a moment you were, I hate being Indian, or there was a moment where you're like, this is awesome. We're, you know, I'm unique. I'm just guessing that one of the stories for you that really defined your South Asian identity, at least as a child, was your second grade buddy, Jason. Am I correct? Him bullying you in second grade, was that a potentially a defining moment for you? Yes, because I don't think I realized I was different until then. Maybe the recognition of the color of my skin, that I didn't see anyone that looked like me, but he went a level deeper to talk about the way I smelled because of my mom's Indian cooking, you know, and that struck me as so first odd. Like, what did that have to do with anything? And then it was a pretty strong punch in the gut, you know, because he, then I was different. Then I was different. I wasn't like them. And there were no people of color in that age group at all at this school. For most of the people in the book, definitely the beginning and the middle, I changed their names. I didn't change Jason's name because. (laughs) Where are you, Jason? Where are you at, boy? (laughs) Because Jason should know, you know, that was an incredibly powerful moment. And I felt very alone when I came home that day, I remember feeling that way, right? I was angry with my mom for even, you know, can you imagine her reaction? I know. Whatever. I know. She's like, girl, <laughs> I calm down. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We can bust out with Gujarati whenever you want. <laughs> okay. You sound like, already you sound as though you're much better at it, but no, let's do that after. I'm pretty yeah, bad. Sure. If you ask my husband, he's like, you're terrible. I'm going to go come back to me and, and why we're twins. My childhood defining story, one of them, 
third grade Justin made fun of me. And he was said I had a crush on him. I had a crush on everyone. Seems like you had a lot of crushes too. I, I any boy, I was like, someone love me. Anyone, someone, someone hug me. Anybody. Anyone. anyone <laughs> hold my hand. Any anyone that wants to. <laughs> anyone look at me. <laughs> look at me. Anyone. I'm I'm alive. I'm alive. I was I mean, I was I was to that point up until very, very late in my life. But anyways, Justin, third grade. I had a crush on him. He was the tallest boy in our class. I remember his face so vividly. I didn't, I didn't, I never saw him after like fifth grade, but he, one of the days, I don't know what happened, but he hit me on the back of my head. Everyone laughed. And I think I cried for like three weeks. It was just, and again, I was the only Indian in class. I don't, you know, kids are ruthless. I my know. God. I don't think they, even today, especially women, girls, my God, eighth grade, seventh grade girls are, are relentless. Oh, girl, in their Ruthie, my girl, my daughter's going to fourth grade. It starts now. At some point, you wish it didn't happen, but at other points, I think it's a rite of passage to push you into. They're gonna have to learn again, right? Yeah, exactly. And again, by the way, it's not like how it was back in our day where our parents were like, "Deal with it." Nowadays, everyone gets involved, so it's like even like let's talk to the parents and so. I, yeah, let's see what happens. You know, it's I'm watching my my older one go through drama right now, and I'm like, part of me is like, she's gonna have to deal with this. It must be such an interesting place to be as a mother, considering what you went through growing up. It's like, oh, do I get involved? Uh, I don't know. No, <laughs> do not I, at all. Yeah. I got pushed off my bike. My mom was like, get up. I'm like, okay, that's <laughs> great. No wonder in sixth grade, I was like cursing on my yearbook. I like, right. <laughs> I can tell you why you're angry on me. Yeah. Let me get out my yearbook. Few ideas. <laughs> There's like scratches over people's faces. It was so bad. The other reason why we were twins is because... I went to Hindu camp every summer. This Hindu camp? No, you're a Hindu camp. Oh. I mean, by the way, long story short, as I'm getting older, I used to think, you know, in my 20s and 30s, why did I go to camp? I could have done other things. I could have learned other things, gone to tennis camp, this and that. But now, again, having kids in my 40s, like, I am so glad I did that. Uh, one, my family's super religious and my parents really wanted, really wanted us to learn the culture. But more than anything... I think it's where I found my confidence because of being with my, our people. And I, I found myself in an environment where I was kind of running stuff. Oh yeah. You were seen. I was seen. And I mm -hmm. think it was one of the best things that happened to me now that I look back. I want to hear yeah. about, it seems like your camp, the Hindu Heritage Summer Camp, which by the way, sounds so much cooler than mine. It was the Poconos. Are you <laughs> kidding me? Like, yeah, it's amazing. So looking back, it seems like it was a positive experience for you. Yeah. I, to this day, credit Hindu Heritage Summer Camp for so much of who I am. One individual that I went to camp with that I don't know well, but, you know, I've seen her over the years, read the book and said, you know, I wish you had talked more about it because I felt like the impact was so strong and it, and it was, and she's right. Like you, it's where I was seen. You know, I wasn't worrying about the color of my skin anymore. And I have to tell you, Hindu Heritage Summer Camp was quite progressive. You know, not only in its teachings, we used to have, and I don't know if I put this in the book, but we used to have something called group sessions and they would pair you up and they would say, mm, pretend the other person is your mother. What do you want to say to her? That's so progressive. So progressive, right? And, you know, all the credit goes to the Swamis who, I mean, again, I marvel in the fact that they were not Indian. And here we were, you know, our parents are dropping us off. Good for your parents, <laughs> by the way, though. Kudos to them for 
making that happen. It, you know, you were seen, you were heard, you were desired. That's a big thing. You know, we just talked about crushes and no one paying attention to us. And all of a sudden, when I talk about Rajiv in the book, it's like, this guy likes me. I don't really understand that. But you were, it was all democratized, right? You were on the same playing field. You were learning the same things. And I counted down the days after Hindu Heritage Summer Camp for the next summer. Now a year goes by so fast. Back then, it, it was like I was crawling my way through every single day just so I could get back to a place of belonging. And it not only made me the person I am today, it, it saved me. I believe that it saved me. I say it saved me from perpetual drug use. I am not. It's not a joke. I think I would have had real issues if I hadn't had that space to be myself. That is how ridiculous it is. If I didn't have a space to show up as exactly who I am, which is our right anyway. I don't think it's ridiculous, Preeti. I think it's actually exactly what each kid needs. And I, yes. I like you, think I went to Swadia camp. I, like you, think it saved me in ways I'm not sure yet of what, but I, I, it did save me from just maybe making many wrong decisions. And I think it's fascinating that our parents didn't send us to save us from, from what we were feeling because they didn't know. They just thought, okay, we want them to have some culture because now we're in America. And like you said, kudos to our parents for saying, for sending us there. Hindu Heritage Summer Camp still exists in Rochester. Swami Parvati or Devi Parvati still runs the camp. And in fact, yeah, my sister goes every year with her kids. I am so, in, I mean, mine are nine and six, but still like, I, this sounds awesome. It's great. And you know, she was sent, sending me video snippets from camp and Every prayer, Sanskrit shloka, whatever it is that they're doing that we did, I immediately feel an overwhelming sense of emotion and so connected to that totally. experience. Same, same. It doesn't, if there's a, yeah. like a the guy three month that comes on, like all any shloka, anything that reminds me of, of camps and going to Hindu classes every Sunday, it now gives me such peace. I've been stressed for the past couple of weeks. Went to the mun there with my kids, sat there. They did a puja. They did the arthi. The arthi. It just invokes my parents, like just all the positive things. It's so, and it's so amazing to have. And I need to do a better job with my kids. But I, uh, I love the idea of the camp you went to. I just want to say my first love was from Swadia camp. <laughs> I mean, I was in love with him for like 10 years, like on and off. Um, I thought he was like yeah. Swadia camp, Guju, Hindu, all that stuff. And I've also had as a, an official first boyfriend a Rajiv. So oh, just let oh, just let okay, me know. Okay, this gets better. I know. Better. I know. I'm just gonna write you a whole list of why we should be best friends. I'm gonna, this is where we are now. Yeah, I know. I'm just gonna try to write a pros and cons list for you, and you can decide. So yeah, I just I love that we can both look at that experience, the religious experience, as a positive one versus like oh I had to go kind of thing. And you know, I also felt when I came back to school. Every year I went to camp and then went back to school, any situation, I felt like I had this secret. Yeah. Like another, I got another life. I have a crew. <laughs> right. I have my friends right. and I have a crew where people don't make fun of me. So go at it. But, you know, once summer comes around. Yeah, exactly. We started going to these international camps my senior year in high school. And before that was local camps. But anyways, 20 years later, whatever it is, there's a group of 16 of us girls, all growing up since teenagers that have met every year as reunions. And it's been, they're like my other family. 
those childhood friends, especially the childhood Indian girlfriends, they remain. It's an incredible bond that I'm so grateful for. Yeah. The other aspect of your growing up, and this is just, I freaked out. I'm a music freak. The fact that you went to Joshua Tree first, you too. And then you mentioned my two favorite bands, Depeche Mode and Erasure. And uh, I just classic. I just peed in my juddies because I was like, <laughs> I, I, you know, it's not like they're like. Did you just say peed in my juddies? Peed in I, my juddies. I, yeah. This is yeah. You can use that in your best you can, thing you, can, you, can, you can use that in your next book. It's fine. Okay. But I, yes. I am Depeche Mode and Erasure. I'm many stories. I've even gotten like handcuffed and for Depeche Mode trying to get in whatever. I, yeah. but just even that reference and that you, your love for them and how it's, it's a part of our growing up, those, that, that music, that's our soundtrack. Soundtrack of our life. That absolutely is. And you can put yourself, you know, music does this. It transforms any moment. And every day I'm grateful for music because in any, every circumstance that there is a deviation in anything that I feel or something triggers me. I can put on a song and go to a completely different place. And I've always thought it was so uh, tremendously cool that you could put on one of those songs and know exactly where you were when you first Every heard it. Every single time. You know what you were wearing. You know how it smelled. Oh you know God. everything. Yeah, it's how very emotional. I know, that? I know. I'm going to Depeche Mode and U2 this year. And it's just, oh. I know. I just went to New Order a couple, like two months ago. Anyways. I used, just, to, think, I used to think that the day would never come. Used to and think, here we are. I know. It just depends on the morning sun. You know what I'm saying? Right, exactly. <laughs> just start my own music <laughs> podcast. <laughs> that was amazing. The other reason why we're twins it's because you're the only brown sister that admitted that uh, you weren't great at math. You didn't have the math gene. No. Me neither. And by the way, no. we both graduated with economics degrees. Well, you know, that was a yeah. product of just getting Me through too. college. Me too. And Same. I was like, what do I do? Any major. What do I do? Yes. What do I do? So we're economics majors that suck at math. I just wanted to tell you that. Yeah. Math and science were not my strong suits. And, you know, I felt like a failed Indian um, but school, you know, I'll admit this, and I'm sure I say it in the book, school wasn't something that I was good at either. It's not about intelligence or knowledge. I was so distracted. I was in my head thinking about all these things. And I'm very grateful that I got the, of course, the education, because I do think education is is foundational for every single moment and change in your life. But I wasn't that good at yeah, it. Same. Every time. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, like, I don't think we were, obviously we're not dumb. I don't, I think we could have done better at school if we were focused in the right place. It's just, I don't think we, I didn't have any guidance. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I think I, I was trying to summarize kind of my takeaways from your childhood because we had so much in common and how, what really stuck out to me. So there's three things I wrote down that I was like, this is really this is exactly how I felt now, how I feel now looking back. I think the pattern of staying silent and avoiding conflict is such a big part of our growing up as South Asian women. I love the fact that you said this. I found other ways to feel jilted. And I, did, I could not admit that to myself till now. Like I found ways to, to feel jilted. I did it to myself a lot. And then the third thing, the third reason why we're twins is I have been on this journey trying to determine, you wrote, determined to create a career, a creative career while satisfying your parents. All three things I feel hit me really hard. You know, they all are reflective of not feeling comfortable to be who you are. 
the feeling of jilt, being jilted, you know, it's a common feeling, even outside of South Asian communities, to put yourself in the position of a victim and say, you know, all these people are doing these things to me. By the way, anything I say around this is based on my own learning and understanding. I don't have any degrees in this area, obviously. Economics <laughs> degree, baby. I did, not, I did not go to school for this. But that space that we live in becomes comfortable. That's where we identify how to feel safe. Even in the extreme circumstance of feeling jilted or not belonging, we tend to gravitate back to those experiences because that's what we knew growing up. And so it was painful for me to write the Marco story in particular because what a dick he was. And here, here I am, like year after year, week after week, wanting this person to see me and love me. But that's that I think is my journey in this lifetime. And that is, you know, unraveling all of this stuff, the stuff that sticks to you and serves no purpose at all. But, oh yeah, sure. If there was always something. Always something. <laughs> and, and the dating marriage part of this book, which I know is a big part of our lives in general, but the, even the way you approached dating and marriage and how you thought, I literally was like, oh, like you've written my book. I can just put my name. I mean, it's literally exactly how I dealt with it. The heartbreak. I too went to prom with a Marco an old, older man because no one asked me out. And so, and mine, mine was a totally random story. He, my friend set me up, he's five years older and he was married to my friend's aunt for a green card. So I went with a married man. I mean, it's fine. <laughs> I do think we, can you imagine if we knew each other? How helpful would that have been when we were growing we would up? Have, this is exactly we would have either become super famous or died. Let's <laughs> hope for the former. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, I think God was like, you guys need to chill out first for a little bit. That's why. Well, we were meant to connect yes, right now. Yes, for sure. But yeah, so. so I, when I was reading about the Marco, the Sids, the, um, I'm not sure if these are the real names or not. No, they're not, okay. obviously. Arav, I think it's Arav, who was like mm -hmm, kind of your mm -hmm. best friend. I had a best mm -hmm. friend like that. I didn't love him, but just someone I was always constantly with 18 hours a day in college. Hi, Pranav, I'm talking about you. Love you. But just these stories of being who we are and trying to navigate dating. The one thing I will say, not that I did this for you, I'm proud of you, not that it was because of me, but I'm proud that you actually dated outside Indian club, you know, like you dated other men. Well, here's the thing, right? And it's, it's, that's the other journey in the book. Because people looked at me differently and made me feel bad about being Indian, of course, dating a white guy was going to get me into some club that I was still desperate to be in. You know, God, don't find out till much later that club is not really anything to talk about. But that's why, right? And so then what happened was I pushed everything Indian away. Even saying that I feel sad because I'm obsessed, obsessed with our culture and the music and obsessed with the color of our skin and what we represent. But back then it was a way to say, I'm not Indian, like stop you know, looking at yeah. me that, see, I'm I can do whatever I want. Here. I'm not, don't, yeah. It's, it's kind of, maybe in a way, because I did the same thing when I got to law school. I went to law school. Don't ask. But oh, I know. So, okay. I mean. Yeah, I mean, barely, barely made it, by the way. I just went to law school <laughs> so I can move to Chicago, literally. When I left Texas, left UT, and I got to Chicago, I felt like I could be a different person. And I totally rejected the Indian thing. And it felt so great. So what I was trying to say is maybe it's us trying to reject them before we get rejected. I don't know, something like that. 
I was funny. I was thinking about this on my own when the book went out. I'm like, I wonder how many people are going to be like, oh, she's got daddy issues. Like, yeah, I get it. I get it. Like, I think I, we all do. Aren't, aren't, we all do, right? Aren't we supposed to? But, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. It's no longer tough. Yeah. But if I were to say the one thing, again, that it came down to was not knowing who I was and not loving myself. And I feel like that's such a cliche term. And I don't believe you have to love yourself to meet anyone else. But imagine the energetic exchange between you and an individual when you are desperate for them to recognize you and be with you. And if you asked any of those individuals now how they felt when they were with me, I don't think they would be this particular and say, well, energetically, right, right. they would probably say she was intense. Right. This idea, you know, this constant, I want to feel bad. I want to get into these relationships. I want to make this person love me and see me. That was embedded in us, right? And we were desperate to have that recognition. So for me, like whenever those, nowadays I think about it, it's not, it's just energy. And the energy has to be on a different level. Because you've met people, you've walked into a room and been like, no, thank you. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Many times. Many times. Yeah, yeah. of course. And, of course. and then yeah. many times I'm on the other side of things. I, I've had so much heartbreak and in the same ways you described in the book. And every time, you, you know, there, there was a, a boy or a man in your life that you had a crush on or you liked, I could relate literally. I was like, yep, went through that. Yep, that happened to me. Yep, same thing. I just have to tell you in this moment that I always thought I'd missed the memo, that I was sitting in this place and everyone around me had figured out how to go to Ivy League schools and how to get married and how to do all these things. So you validating, not even val- you sharing these experiences with me really brings me such a sense of peace and calm because really I was like, why did I not understand what I was supposed to be doing? I know, and because we didn't talk about it, yeah, I didn't know exactly. I know, I didn't know. So See, thank God, you. he should have let us meet earlier, Jesus. <laughs> but yeah, I same. I sometimes I don't even know what I've made it means, but sometimes I'm like I got out some alive yeah. <laughs> of whatever right. <laughs> of child right. and adolescence and childhood, and I made it, and, right. and now just trying to understand it all. I gotta ask. I was a big Dandia Ross champion in in college. How, how good were you guys at AIR, which was the Associate of Indians at Rutgers? I need to know because we took it very seriously. So AIR was, I don't think we did Gerba. I mean, we did these performances no, no, every Dandia year. Ross. So, was, so I'm talking about twirling, like stick magic. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember doing Dandia Ross with AIR. <laughs> I, re- I don't. I, you know, someone yeah. in AIR might tell me differently. I grew up doing Dandia Ross and, uh, and Gerba. And, you know, I had the basics down. And everyone else probably again, in my mind, could dance better and do do it better and twirl the dandias up in the air. And, you know, all those good you girls that added that extra step forward and back. The swing and the extra hip the swing. swing. Yeah. And I'm like, what is going on? I didn't learn any of that <laughs> stuff until later. Okay. I made a concerted effort to learn that one step that everyone was doing when we were 15. But, you know, I don't know. Maybe there are some good dancers. Yeah, not. You know, it was like a fusion. It wasn't only Dandia. Ross. I was always, <laughs> actually, they made me the guy in all our dances. <laughs> I, I mean, you're wondering why I have issues, right? This is I'm just like laying it all out there for you. Yeah. I mean, did yeah. you ask to be the guy? Probably. Because- probably. Yep. I probably yeah. like, let me be the victim of everything. Please, everyone <laughs> feel sorry for me and hug me at the same time. I need, a, right, this is my, exactly. I need attention. Also, what can I do to get attention? Like, Anything. Yeah. How can I feel superior? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> how am I better than all of you? Like, how can I be better than all these hot girls wearing hot dresses when I'm wearing like my brother's clothes? Like, what can I do? Right. 
by the way, it didn't work very well till later. But anyways, till, till I got out. <laughs> and the other question I'd ask about growing up is if you can remember how many times did you watch Del Valle do Hania? Well, you know, I was in college now I'm aging myself when that came out and uh, it's, it's an extraordinary film. I don't know how many, at least 75. Okay. I'm up there too. Not yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I was making sure because I was my number is crazy. Like, I feel like if I could have had to count, it'd be between that. I mean, there's still a movie theater in Bombay that shows it every single day and has been for 20 some odd years. So we are not alone in our love. But it was, you know, these first, the first person you love, the first Bollywood movie of its kind it's, yeah. that was so resonant and like their love story. I mean, and the music, everything. The music was extraordinary. Yeah. yeah. They stay with you. Yeah. And they are good. Yeah. You know, we should go to Bombay and watch it in the theater. I mean, with, Bombay is yeah. really yeah. my... Right, well, I'm excited to read that chapter. You need to tell me more about oh. it. I have, I have a relationship with India too, which we'll, we will talk about that with you. Kind of quickly want to go over the work thing. I know you worked at NBC Universal and Warner Media, digital groups there. Obviously, you're writing now. Are you still corporate? Are you done? Is this, is this book uh, writing, creative side now full-time? Oh gosh, no. I mean, I don't, so really, I don't know what's next, but I never, I never say I'm done with corporate because as much as it is problematic in so many areas, especially for women of color, truly. <laughs> also, another thing I didn't realize until 2020, you know, I'm like, oh wait, no, it wasn't all my fault. You know, it offers a structure and, and I need to earn income and we forget about money sometimes, but I don't know. I'm not, I would love not to, and sort of move on into this creative world, but we'll see what happens. I like that. That's good. The other reason why we're twins is because I too did a drunk wedding speech at my brother's wedding. I don't <laughs> think he was as appreciative as your sister was, but when you were talking about, yeah, I took like four vodka shots. I'm like, yep, that was me too, pretty much. So one day we'll have to do that together. Talking about the, uh, and by the way, when you travel to Hong Kong and you talk about traveling a lot as therapy, I love that part. It's a big part of my life as well. But I really want to talk about uh, when you find out about your infertility. We kind of mentioned it at the beginning of the, the interview, but how scary was it to share? And what has the feedback been for your friends that have read that? It was scary. It was, you know, again, I think even now admitting failure, even though that's not failure or admitting that I'm putting this in air quotes, there's something wrong with me and I could be seen as not whole is scary, but more so was important for me to say, because it is not any of those things. It's not something to be ashamed of. It does not make you less of a woman. And if one Indian person had said that to me back then, holding that secret and pretending, you know, a lot of the dating stories, which I don't get into that came after that diagnosis were even more desperate attempts to quote, have someone fall in love with me before I could tell them that they, you know, couldn't have kids. And I had created these stories in my mind and no Indian guys, I mean, no Indian guy is going to be, you know, up for adopting or egg donor or whatever it is. So it was scary, but it was also, again, liberating. It's so important that you share that. It really is. Yeah. It was a terrifying decade of my life. And one in which, as you know, I sought so many, I was determined to reverse it and the most amazing thing that came out of that journey was in my determination to reverse it and in my search for healing modalities, 
I found my way back to yoga. I found my way back to this concept of healing, uh, especially my mind. And that has been a journey that um, is invaluable. Probably centered yourself quite a bit. Yeah, I had a miscarriage in between my two girls. And yeah, it's, it's, it's all heartbreaking. Up until then, no, not, I hadn't heard a single story. Any, no, none of my friends had shared that they had a miscarriage as well. But I'm sure you know in the past hour that we've talked, I'm pretty open. So I started sharing it. I didn't know how that's my, that was my way of coping. There's only so much you could talk to your own husband about it or your partner about it. And so I started sharing it. And I don't know, half of my friends not admitted, said they had one too. And I'm like, why aren't we talking about this? Like, it's, it's, it's in the same way you feel like a failure. It's, you know, how, you know, this is not supposed to happen to a, a woman who can do things properly, whatever you want to, however you want to put it. Well, you know, it's like this idea of perfection that we have determined what makes us perfect. And if we don't, if those things don't materialize, there there's something wrong right, with us. Right. You and know? just I, I say this earnestly. I'm so grateful that you did talk about it. Yeah. That was at the time I didn't have the podcast, but at the time it was just talking to girlfriends and then saying it on the podcast for the first time and now saying it for the fiftieth time. I'm like, yeah, it's heartbreaking and let's all talk about it and heal together. I haven't had anyone mention it in particular with my friends, which is I mean, the book's been out for maybe a week and a half maybe two weeks. So it'll be interesting if someone does. Yeah. You never know. I mean, even if they don't, at least they know they share something, you know, they have, they have someone out there if they want. So kudos, my friend, for sharing. I know, I know it's scary. Last part for the book, and then we're going to do a fun fast round. What, I know you mentioned coming and going to Bombay. I think I'm at the part where you went for the, you're about to go for the third time with your friend, Layla, I think, because that's what it was with De Delhi, right? You guys were planning a trip. What is your relationship to India now? Obsessed. You know, India to me is life in technicolor. The minute you land, you are immersed in this experience of intensity, color, sight, you know, smell, music. There, there's music everywhere. Ringtones in the street, in the cabbies, everywhere. People are dancing on Marine Drive at every sunset. The food, let's, I mean, I don't know when the last time you went to Bombay was, but the food scene ha is just spectacular. I do have a familiarity with it. I do believe that, you know, in several lives I've spent time in India previously, but you, you are no longer worried. Not that I'm worried anymore, but there is something so soothing about being around your people in an entire country until I speak. And then I get a little bit of, right. Um, Until you speak your amazing Gujarati, which we'll have to practice together. It's fine. <laughs> tiki, yeah. tiki. So I, I just, I, I love it. And, you know, India, Bombay, all these places, just like America has, you know, a plethora of problems. But for me, it feels like going home. And especially now. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's a beautiful place. Yeah. It sings. It sings. You know, yeah. The air, the air, I feel the air jumping in my lungs, mm -hmm. you know, dancing in my lungs when I go there. That's it's how a I weird feel about cleanse it. of a soul. Yeah, so I'm very, I, I got to live there twice. Once in between, I worked at Enron, if you remember Enron, in between Enron and law school. I lived there for a year. That's when this whole backup Bollywood thing happened. And then I lived there for three years with my husband. 
So, in Bombay? Uh, we did. So Bombay was that year in between. And then mm-hmm. we lived there uh, 09 to 12 in Delhi for a year and a half mm-hmm. and Bangalore for a year and a half. It's a very strong connection. But like like what you're saying, it's sensory overload, but it's, it's like so, so soul cleansing. You know, like it's just, it's hard to describe it. It is. And Whenever you're in collective energy, right. I seem to really thrive when there's, you know, like uh, Ganpati Moria. Like, I was there, you know, and the streets and everyone is focused on one thing. Yeah. And I used to not understand this, but, you know, as Americans, it's sort of a, a lonely journey, right? You grow up, you do this thing, you're out of the house and you even look down on people that still live with their parents. The most beautiful thing about India and the culture in terms of family and society connection is everyone's up for anything at any time. You just drop by and have some cha and like nasto and you chill and you're always with someone. It's not lonely. It's not lonely. It's not. It is not at all. And I find that so beautiful. Yeah, it's really refreshing. And I actually, when I was there in Bombay, and we'll have to do another side get drinks over this. My stories from there, I'm trying to date people in Bollywood. Oh my God. I'm seriously, oh, okay. Wait, seriously. No, yeah, yeah, we yeah, no, we no, need no, to make no, that date right, right away. Right, right. <laughs> I, I mean, the stu- stupidity of a 23 year old. Um, but yeah, I think my parents go back there for a couple months a year now because it's just like, they. you know, I'm here, my brother is here, but the loneliness of, of being here in the States as an older couple, you know, that is retired and, they go to India just to be just to be with people and not to feel lonely. When you get further in the book, my love with Bombay is, you know, I discuss with my parents and they're baffled. They're like, why? Yeah. <laughs> you know? like they, yeah. they were one of the few. They're like, nah, we're good. Yeah. We went back enough. You know, we love our life here. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to okay. hear what yeah, you think Yeah, I'm going to finish that. it up and I'll call you. I'm going to have my glass of wine tonight and call you. And, okay. Uh, talk about yeah. It. And kind of wrap it up. I know at the beginning you said today, of course, your story is vastly different. I think like all of us, we wish we could tell our younger selves, you know, look, it's going to be okay. Life is going to be an adventure. So what else would you tell her, your younger self, after writing this? I would tell her that, you know, other people's opinions are not as important as you think. I would emphasize the magic that she was in store for. I would really say, you know, I know you can't see it now and it feels as though you can't breathe, but girl, you will have no idea. You have no idea. And I think the other big thing I would tell her, although I don't know if it would have landed, is that you have the ability to shift your mindset and create what you want. It's not up to everyone else. It is up to you. So figure out how to do that. Figure out how to do that. Maybe you can't do it now. And then you will start to see your life change in ways that you can imagine. Yeah. I think we all have this idea growing up about how life should be. But I don't know what movie or song it's from, but it's really life unfolds as it should. Yeah, as it should. As it should. And, and have faith in that. I think that's the main thing. And be present. Yeah. You know, I think staying in the moment is is one of the secrets. Yeah. Even just, now. You know, even nowadays, all of, of us. Of course. Every day. Yes, every day. Just focus on what's happening now and the rest will come. Yeah. And just say Saru Chalo at the end of it. Chalo. Saru. Jai Shri Krishna. Jai Shri Krishna. Oh, that is my dad. Yeah, that oh. is definitely a dad thing. Lo- yeah. Love to your dad. I'm so sorry. Okay. Fast round. First word you can think of. And then I promise I'll let you go and then we're going to figure out a date. I, I was actually I mean, telling Nirja, I was like, I would love to come to the event at Sona, but... 
I was going to tell you, please, please, can you come? I would to love the event to, but then I would sit on your lap the whole time, and Nirja would be uh, like, okay. "What the fuck is happening, and why?" Trust me, I think maybe you know <laughs> this is my first event. I would welcome the high. You're gonna. It's gonna be. Room. It's gonna be awesome. She's awesome. Um, I yeah, so I incredible. actually so the idea was for me to interview you live at Sona. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Can we still do yeah. that? That's so cool. I know, but we'll do. We're gonna do something. We'll do something live because okay. I'm always. I'm in New York so many times. Are you based there right now? Yeah. Okay. Describe yourself in one word. Idealistic. What is your biggest pet peeve? Oh gosh, the list is endless. But tardiness is up there when someone keeps me waiting. When people don't take accountability, like, I don't know, I don't know. There's one more I have to, I know you said one. Come on, New York people in New York. Don't walk next to each other if you're in a group of four. Yeah. I just can't get by. It seems illogical to that me. That should be written <laughs> in the constitution. <laughs> Honestly, like, like what? Anyway, I have several more, but moving on. I love it. And this one, I'll give you a little bit to think about if you need it. Tell me about an interesting experience or encounter you've had recently that you haven't shared with anyone. Hmm. These are fantastic questions, first of all. Look at me trying to delay the response. Okay. There's a car service, a car share ride in New York City called Revel uh-huh. now. These little blue cars. And the other day I got into Revel. I have not shared this with anyone. I went out to get into the car and I saw the driver extremely animated. I mean, he was angry. Okay. He was talking to someone on the phone and I thought, oh, I don't want to get in this car because uh, I'm not interested in this. But when I got in the car, he completely, you know, shifted and was like, hello, how are you? Let's go, you know. And I said, I'm good, but it seems like you might be, Right. <laughs> I do talk to everybody, yeah. you might be having a day. And he said, you know, I was talking to my ex-wife and we're pissed because this professor, and I won't name the university, just wrote an article saying the crack epidemic is over and he is wrong. And so we proceeded to have this conversation. Now, I mean, I don't know the last time you talked, you thought about the war on drugs or Ronald Reagan or just saying yeah. no or, or the crack epidemic, uh-huh. but I hadn't thought about it in some time. And I actually stayed in the car five minutes longer to hear what he had to say. People that are so committed and so passionate and, and this feeling of, you know, that's not, you know, I want to question, I want to question what he wrote. I mean, I, oddly, this, this was something that I, I made my day. That's, you know? first of all, I did not expect that turn. Second. <laughs> you said I haven't told yeah. anyone. I, I Second, talked about everything. Secondly, so. I would have done the exact same thing. I probably would have exchanged yeah. his email and just like Facebook. I don't even know. So I love, oh, you I just do. never know when, where inspiration comes from. Like, like it's, you have to be open to it all, which I think you someone like you and we are. Yeah. This is yeah. why we're the best. Yeah. I know. I'm not angry. Needs I'm not angry anymore. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> How do you want to be remembered by the people around you? Oh, boy. oh, me. I would say the first thing that comes to mind is a sparkly soul who cared about others who found her voice and hopes others do the same. And then there'd be a pause. And then I would hope someone would say, and she was like a game changer. That's what, that's what See? I See, it's in here. <laughs> Dilmache. You know everything. There it is. It came out. <laughs> you know it. Ultimate collab. Anyone. Collab? collab. Like working yeah, collaboration. with someone? Anyone you, like a business anything, or a person? Anyone you want to work with. It could be, you know, Obama, anyone. Well, yes, I mean, you know, yeah, Obama, obviously. they're always there. Yeah, of course. But, you know, um, I, I really want to hang out with Padma Lakshmi and just go eat food. Okay. I like that. 
who wouldn't want to do that? But a woman that loves food and is just not, <laughs> is all over it. I, that's what I want to do. Padma. Can you, when you guys go out together to eat, can I come with you guys? Yes. I really course. want her to be on the podcast. Thanks. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we, we just manifested that. Yeah, so thanks. that will happen. Hi, mm-hmm. hi Budma. Great. I know you're listening. Hi, Budma. Let's go for pizza. Let's go. Let's do it. If it all goes awry, what are your bare bones for happiness? Are we including the basics like family and friends and all that stuff? Or first thing, oh, first yeah. thing oh, that comes to your mind? Yeah, human connection, yeah. family, friends. It could be even even something superficial, like whatever it is. Music, but you know, really, all of those things, of course. But um, my mental well being, because for me, that's where it all starts. And if that is not available, I tend to get a little yeah. So a little bit, mental. a little bit wet. <laughs> By the way, I think that was the best answer for the bare bones one because no one has said themselves. Everyone has mentioned outside relationships or and so I I actually think that's the key to that answer. I mean to that question, so I might not ask it again because you just answered it. That's the journey I've been on. Tuckered Out is hosted by me, Ami Tucker. This episode is produced by Genie Media with Jeannie Saraswathi. Ashley Tuff, Micah Sweetman, Hans Andres, and Laura Radescu. You can follow me at Tuckered Out Podcast on Instagram. And please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts.